king, an obsession. Journey into the world of Iskorda and travel along with the boy from that way as he embarks on a quest to return to the very depths of the nightmare that brought him through the white door. Join us once more as we step through the white door. We move from the eye of the enemy back to the boy from that way. In his attempt to escape those who would hand him over to the king, he meets a new ally. Join us today for chapter 6, The Prince and the Tailor. Eisen had never seen a fire so big in all his life. The flames seemed to jump up and dance, reaching toward the sky like tribal dancers attempting to appease some unknown god. It seemed as though the cottage itself was perfect to befriend the flame, though friends one could not say they were. The place burned down rather quickly, and Eisen placed the reason more with the materials that composed the cottage than with the blue pixie flame that had started this whole mess. Other than the fact that it came from a pixie, the fire seemed no different than any other flame. Either way, the boy was currently much more interested in the four figures rummaging through the debris of the burnt cottage than the cottage itself. The Jeldurst. Yes, sir, that's them. That one there on the front is Slendari, their leader, Palisare said, with worry vibrating on his words. Bally said they would come. It seems that we got out of there just in time the boy said. He had been stooping now behind a large thorn bush for quite some time and moved his legs a bit to stretch them out. As he was tucking his legs back in, the boy snapped a twig that was lying on the forest floor, concealed by numerous fallen leaves. The snapping sound given off by the twig seemed absolutely deafening under the current circumstances. Eisen gritted his teeth and looked out towards the jilders, one of which was looking in Eisen's direction. Without hesitation, Palisare and two other pixies shot out of the bush they and Eisen were hiding behind. Eisen and the slender Jeldurst member both watched as the pixies buzzed through the air loud and playfully. The boy turned his eyes to the tall, lithe Jeldurst soldier who had looked at the tree line when he had snapped the twig. Palisare had said his name was Slendari and Eisen saw an exquisite violin hanging from his belt. Sundari mouthed a comment and turned and began to walk off towards their horses, where a very large, mannish brute was standing near a black cello. Eyes had never seen such a creature, as was becoming so common in this new and strange land. Eisen continued to watch the Jeldurst. He saw them take a black orb over to what he guessed was the charred remains of Bally. Within moments, he heard the cat's voice yelling, though it seemed much less intimidating than it had when the cat had confronted him earlier. Eisen strained to hear what they were talking about, forgetting momentarily that he was mere feet from those who were trying to capture him. The boy knew that Bally had died, yet there he was, speaking with the four. They got ways of talking to your bones, lad, Eisen could hear Bally saying in his mind. Curiosity may not have killed the cat, but it certainly trod. Psst, boy, came a voice from the brown satchel at his waist. It was Dundlin the pixie. The boys found a hollow tree a few paces behind us. Best be hiding till the Jelders take off. 
We'll be with your traces. Now come on, boy. Follow me. Be quiet. Eisen thought of wind up crawling toward soldiers as he got down on his hands and knees, following Dunlin quietly deeper into the woods. Once on the ground, he could feel the leaves and General Force floor scraping his elbows, and on occasion, his face too. He felt it a fair trade for what the group of guys would have probably done to him. In this mode of thinking, he nearly lost sight of the pixie, who was shooting off about seven or eight feet ahead, where a large oak stood. On the back side of the giant oak was a large hole, showing the tree's insides to be hollow. Dundon landed on the outside rim of the hole, motioning a finger over his lips, followed by a wave. Eisen slid his fingers up the oak, grasping the old bark, and pulled himself up. The tree seemed to vibrate lightly, but Eisen was much too interested in not being caught to think much more on that. Slowly, he pulled himself into the hollow oak tree and sat quietly with his knees pulled to his chest. The inside of the tree smelled like dirt that hadn't been moved or rustled in years. He thought of his mother. The pixie flew away. Time seemed to slow down, his breath slowly growing louder as the temperature started to rise. Eisen felt like he was already caught. In his panic, he wondered if the pixie had just hand-delivered him to the jelders, practically in a box. Suddenly, the sound of the ground stirring rang out from inside the tree, vibrating. It was outside and close, snapping, crackling, sniffing. The boy thought he heard voices for a moment and he closed his eyes. He tried to think of his mother. Something smacked loudly against the hollow oak. Eisen felt a tap somewhere a bit above his head. He had had no idea what that meant and mustered all the strength he had to remain silent. With a hand tightly over his own mouth, he placed an ear to the wall of the inside tree. It felt much warmer than he would have guessed it used to be. But now, it could be anything. The tense moment had gripped him. The forest had grown silent. Psst! It's safe to come out now. He heard... Suddenly, how much time had passed? Palisair had landed on the same rim as Dundlin had earlier, his tiny little breastplate gleaming its silver gleam in the sunlight. Eisen laughed to himself, relieved, yet somehow or another, he had to admit feeling safe. Although Palisair was tiny, he seemed like a mighty warrior, and he had grown to trust the pixie, found great comfort in it. Eisen went to speak, was interrupted by a very excited Gordon, who almost wrecked trying to land in such a hurry. Captain, Gordon shouted directly into Palisair's face. Yes, Gordy, he replied, trying to reset the tone. Me and the boys found some hazu berries and, uh, well, before Gordon could even finish, Ashway, Warwick's, Dunlin, and Andrew crashed into the room of the tree hole, knocking all six of the pixies off the lip and into the tree. Aizetsu came to discover that hazu berries are what pixies use to make a most potent and fiery wine. The berries themselves were quite rare, and Gordon happened to know an old secret to get what he called the good juices out of each and every one. It didn't take long before the annoyed boy was crawling out of the tree just to simply get away from the pixies, who had begun to down cup after cup of hazu broth wine. Hey, Eisen, Dundalin said once the boy left the tree and stretched out a bit. The other pixies all giggled together, their mail clinking together in unison. You are so lucky I know Samantha, the widow spider. Eisen said he didn't get it. Dunlin took a swig of hazel broth wine as Anjun produced a small blue flame in his palm. Dunlin spit the wine into the blue flame, which burst into a large puff of fire, illuminating the insides of the mighty oak. 
Every inch of the inside walls of the tree were covered in tiny black spiders. The one in the middle was larger than any others. Her head glowed a soft red, and the spiders around her seemed to be of a different breed entirely. As she glowed and throbbed, the colors on the individual spiders did so in unison. Eisen now understood. He was just in that tree. Palisir and Anjun flew up to Eisen's left shoulder and landed awkwardly. Both of them managed to spill their wine, which the boy could smell and feel. Palisir looked especially queasy with Anjun not looking much the better. The pixie captain looked like he was going to be sick and I just knew pixie puke was probably the one thing that was not cute, no matter how small. Maybe it had glitter in it. The boy looked around the oak, back towards the tree line and Bally's cottage. For a brief moment, it seemed like nothing had happened. As the boy approached the thorn bush where he was originally hiding, he could definitely see signs of movement that were not his own. The place was different, though slightly. The area had been searched. That much he guessed. He peered through the thorn bush at Bally's burnt-down cottage. Two squirrels wrestled playfully atop the still-standing brick chimney. Something in the distance caught the boy's eye. Excitement began to flow in his veins. Excuse me, sirs. Not to put a cork in your celebration, but I see something else approaching. Just now. Yes. Coming over the hills toward us. Down the, down the bricked road. He stammered, pointing off towards an exquisite-looking wagon that was creeping closer, covered with a deep purple material that looked so comfortable and soft that Eisen felt sleepy just by looking at it. The boy looked back to his shoulder, turned around, neither pixie was there. He didn't have to look for them long, as he quickly heard a menagerie of pixie voices cursing, singing, and chanting, coming from within the leather pouch. He looked down at his waist, opened the bag. He could see the pixies all cheering toward and on, as the little sprite attempted to chug a rather large mug full of ale. Pixies were a particular breed, he felt, and he would never rightly understand them. Nonetheless, he found himself smiling at the smashed little fellas. Guys! Guys! The boy yelled, shaking the brown pouch as he did. Palisair flew crazily up in front of Eisen's face. The pixie nearly crashed several times before deciding to perch on a nearby branch. He landed with a bit of a thud and picked himself up, fell off the branch, picked himself up again, and landed before he could finally muster his balance. Eisen laughed a little bit as he fell into a large leaf that was filled with stagnant water. Palisair smacked a fist into the water before flying up to Eisen's shoulder, wet and angry. The boy's nose was hit with an overpowering whiff of alcohol, as Palisair basically told the boy to go soak his head. Eisen would have delved deeper into dispute, but was now looking at the covered wagon. It was drawing much closer, close enough to hear the wooden wheels bouncing the that made up the main road. Close enough to see a man in deep purple robes driving the wagon and singing brashly. The driver's robes matched the cozy-looking wagon cover, though the hue itself was slightly different. The driver's purple did not seem to give off quite the same comfortable feeling the wagon cover did. Either way, the man in all his horde singing appeared to be in quite good spirits. The two squirrels sat above Eisen discussing the ridiculous nature of drunken pixies. One of them had made mention that the boy was better off without them, and the other one swiftly agreed. They spoke about the boy briefly, and used the pixies as an excuse not to feel guilty about their thoughts of reporting him to the Jelders. There's a lot in store for those who help the king, one of them had said. The other one, after finishing off a rather large acorn, added, Indeed, brother, 
I'd do it just to see the pixies in the hands of the Jeldurst. Even if they didn't know anything, the malicious nature of those four would surely spell the end of those little drunk bastards. Hasn't thought he heard the word bastard out of nowhere, but the feeling left him as he took a deep breath and emerged from the woodlawn, walking <laughs> He wasn't sure how he felt, and hadn't quite made up his mind, but was already walking. He knew that he had to get out of here, and besides, the man didn't look dangerous, not like the Jeldurst. Muffled aggravation expelled from the pixie pouch, and Eisen only responded by walking even more swiftly. The boy smiled to himself, getting great joy from hearing the pixies being tossed around by the pace of his walking. It's like having a hive of angry bees tied to my belt, he thought, as he began waving down the approaching purple top wagon. Pulling hard on the reins, the man smiled as he brought the wagon to a full stop in a cloud of dust. Without a word, the driver left the driver's bench and scurried around the horse towards Eisen. The boy could see the joyful-looking driver approaching with his hands out in greeting. He couldn't help but smile at this and took the man's hand deeply and shook it. Name's a tailor boy, and I am one as well, the man said, laughing loudly. I'm Eisen, and my profession seems to be getting a lot more lost than I could rightfully correct. Upon closer observation, the soft-skinned man's purple robes were quite detailed. It reminded Eisen of the way things look under a foot or two of water with the sun shining directly through. Clear, clean, and mysterious. Well, the excited man said, scratching his head and then his beard, I'm headed towards Dristal, which is the southernmost town in Ang Farin. Yes, indeedsies. I got a job from the local magistrate. You see, as I mentioned once already, I'm Taylor, and one indeed. A tailor of quite renown, I might add. Yes, sir. The tailor waggled his finger at Eisen and he kept talking. I got hands that make the finest addresses. Seems the magistrate's daughter is in need of just such a fine dress. Oh, and they do pay well, the magistrates. Taylor gave Eisen a smirk as he said this and sent a chill down the boy's spine. Honey, a voice called from inside the long silence. It cut the air with its odd dryness, and Eisen thought it sounded a bit strained as well. One moment, lovebird, Taylor said, turning back to the boy. This is my wife, Pearly. Ah, what a beautiful songbird she is. Anyhow, back to our dilemma at hand. Or should I say, yours? He laughed. I'll give you a ride towards town, boy. Taylor said this as he took a step closer toward Eisen. In a low voice, he told the boy that no one rides for free. For a second time, Eisen's spine danced with chills. I haven't got much, honestly, Eisen said, patting himself more out of habit than because he was actually looking for something buried within his pockets. The tailor watched intently as the boy rummaged. I've got this blue wand and just this bag of, uh, dirt. Eisen, for some reason, felt a little uncomfortable telling Taylor about the pixies. He didn't know why he didn't feel the same about the wand. He felt even more uncomfortable with a lie he just told. Dirt good one. Dirt? asked the tailor curiously, his eyes taking to the brown pouch at Eisen's waist momentarily. Why would you be trot along with a little bag full of dirt? Eisen felt the familiar twitches of nervousness course through his body. He could feel the intensity of the tailor's curious stare practically burning a hole in the pixie pouch. It's, well, for my pet pig, sir, to be honest, he lied again, trying to wipe the truth from his face. A pig? 
Well, now that must be one special pig, the tailor added as he nudged Eisen with his elbow. Eisen missed the implications. Knew a pig once I did. Built himself a house of straw, the old loon. Don't you know a, 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 what was it? A storm came along one day. It huffed and puffed and blew that house right on down. The tailor clapped Eisen on the shoulder merrily as he agreed to take the blue wand in exchange for the ride to Dristal. Taylor seemed to like the color of the wand and the way it held light, and he made a verbal note of that brightness of the blue that was quite inspiring as he slid the wand into some unseen pocket within the many folds of his dancing purple robes. Right, said the tailor firmly, smile still beaming ear to ear. Pearly, you ride up here with me, my love. You, boy, can ride in the back with that, that sad little prince. Right, sad little prince. Eisen thought to himself as the purple covering on the wagon made way. This place just couldn't seem to stay normal to save its life. Eisen decided not to question it began to move around the back of the wagon. As the boy walked, he caught a glimpse of the tailor's wife. He thought he saw a bone. He quickly turned his eyes, hurrying to the rear. Something wasn't right. Normalcy seemed to be on the brink of extinction here beyond the white door. The back of the wagon had a little set of wooden stairs, and Eisen climbed them into the wagon. He had barely stepped inside when it lurched forward in unison with the tailor's voice yelling, Hell! Eisen grabbed a bag of fabric to steady himself from falling. Once settled and relaxed, something he hadn't done since Bally told him about Archibald, a voice came. Seems today is the day for collecting wandering souls came a sudden and sullen voice from under the pile of fabrics. Excuse me? Eisen added, cocking his head. In the shock of thinking he saw a skeleton, he had completely forgotten that the tailor mentioned that a second passenger was even in the wagon. This must be the sad little prince. The pile of cloth moved briefly before being flung back altogether, revealing a black-haired man who looked at Eisen just as sad as the tailor had implied. The prince's white-collared shirt was deeply stained and dirtied. To Eisen, the whiteness seemed to have begun taking on a bit of a yellow tint, which would really only be described as pea-colored. This thought pattern caused the boy to smirk a little. Pea often does that to a person, and Eisen was no exception. As he met the prince's eyes, Eisen felt some of the weight of the prince's sadness suddenly, and thoughts of humorous pea drained. Didn't mean to startle you, he added meekly. It's okay, really. The tailor told me we're back here. I just sort of got lost in other thoughts is all. I fell asleep on this old red road. Seems that when the wagon stopped, it woke me. Funny how all that bumping went on for so long that when it became still, my body took it as almost uncomfortable. No matter. I couldn't help but overhear that you were lost. Be well, my friend. At least you have a home to be lost from and hopefully return to. The prince finally sat up. No, actually, I don't think I do now. Ah, said the prince, holding out his hand in greeting. That perchance we are more akin in plight than first appears. Brothers, even. Eisen took the greeting, the prince's cold and clammy hands nearly engulfing Eisen's. The prince's grasp, however, felt weak and seemed to altogether contrast his otherwise athletic build. The boy guessed it was the prince's sad problem that was sapping him of his will to get full use of his muscle. Eric, said the prince. Eisen, the boy replied. 
He sat back, trying to find a more comfortable spot. It seemed every time he thought he had it, the wagon would bump and jump from the road, sliding the boy back into the issue of non-comfort. The boy felt surely that Taylor was hitting every hole in the road on purpose, giving it everything he had. The wagon was of comfortable size, yet he felt that the damn thing wouldn't stay still long enough for him to find a proper spot. He began to circle around like, well, like Donald T. Perrin's. He made a note of why the prince adopted to just lay on the floor under a, the pile of soft fabrics. Once situated on a small stack of leathery strips, Eisen let his mind wander from the prince's predicament back to Pearlie and what he thought he had seen. The boy was sure he saw blonde hair and definitely could recall the wondrous flowing pink of her dress as she passed. However, something was off. When Pearlie grabbed the back of the driver's bench, he swore he saw bone where flesh fingers should be. After inquiring to the prince about it, Eric had never seen Pearlie. He had spent the entire time in the back sulking under the clothes. He decided he should push it from his mind. So, Prince Eric, Eisen began, hoping to kill some of the time on the journey. Why are you so down? I mean, you're a prince, right? Doesn't that mean you get to tell everyone what to do and sit up on the little throne and have beautiful girls feed you fruit, you know, fan on you? I mean, you have basically everything you could ask for, right? Eisen had never met a prince, but felt this one was probably a bad example. I did. I was happy once, but felt like there was more. I had a wonderful oceanside kingdom and a beautiful ginger-haired wife. Well, much more vibrant than ginger, almost a fire-like red. The prince gloomily reminisced. Eisen wanted to ask him what had happened, but the prince's face said he was about to rip right into the whole story. Now he wasn't so sure he wanted to hear it. He loves stories told by wounded hearts, but this one felt like it was going to be particularly heavy. They always seemed so much more passionate. The boy leaned back and focused on the prince's doubly face. Eisen thought briefly of Bally, then Donald T. Perrins, as the prince got comfortable and began to tell his tale of woe. I married. Well, hell, I'll just come out and say it. I married a damn mermaid. Well, she was a mermaid. Somehow or another, she got herself a pair of legs. Now, before I go along, I should mention that this mermaid was a princess. We should tell you her father was a sea king. Not just any sea king. No, 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 no. Of course not. King of the entire ocean he was. This, of course, I did not know. Not that it would have saved my heart or my kingdom. I just wondered if the prince would have saved them in that order. So when he tell, he continued, within a few months I hear from members of my house staff that the little ocean wench is spreading those new legs as much as she is using them to walk. I, of course, was out to sea at the time, keeping the peace so that my people would not suffer the wrath of King Archibald. Eric gave a hollow laugh and then pulled from his trousers a yellow parchment. So I get this letter from my head of staff, basically telling me that my wife is with child, his child. The prince banged a clenched fist against the walls of the wagon. Everything okay back there? A muffled sound came. Eisen said it was, though he truly spoke only for himself. The prince looked like he may never be rightly okay again. So what do I do? I approach her with the letter. She never said anything while I read it to her, but her silence spoke the loudest of truths. With a heavy heart and a heavy hand, I had the girl banished from the castle. You'd think the situation was over, as it couldn't possibly get any worse, right? 
Right? Eisen wasn't sure. Wrong! Prince yelled it loudly. Eisen half expected the tailor to check on them again, but nothing came from the front of the wagon. For, for some reason, this made Eisen a little bit nervous. I could say, son, that in retrospect, that it was only the beginning of the end. Within days of her father, the Ocean King sank my entire naval fleet and removed all sea life from the water surrounding my kingdom. This crippled my people worse than the loss of our great defense, the fleet. You see, we, we live off the ocean, and we especially rely heavily on it for our source of food. Terrace Eric looked down at the floor as he said the last few words, breaking the deep stare into Eisen's eyes he had held for most of the story. Eisen felt there was more to be told and held his questions, waiting for Eric to pick up and continue. Watching him tell it, you would think the tale was physically hurting him to tell, as he squirmed much in the telling. The wagon hit a rather large pothole, tossing Eisen from his seat and onto the wagon's wooden floor. Pinteric helped him up and started on the rest of the tale. So as if being defenseless in the face of King Archibald wasn't enough, my people began to starve. Then I get this incredibly audacious letter telling me if I would just take the little water nymph back, that all would be well. Of course, Eric began to tear up a little bit and struggled not to tell the rest of the story, though he must. My heart forced me to decline, though my head thought of the kingdom and the suffering of my people. Yet for some reason, I just not, could not take her back into my arms, you know? What with another's child growing in her belly and the taste of him still on her? Eisen th thought that the ocean surely washed away the man's taste from her lips, especially if she was a mermaid, but decided now was not the time for possible half-jokes. The day after my refusal, my kingdom was flooded and crushed by a series of massive tidal waves. Even those who managed to escape inland were wiped out by an oceanic hurricane that made landfall and practically chased them down. No doubt the Ocean King has his hands, or fins. Eric went silent after that for a while, and few noises not associated with the bumping of the wagon were made. Isaac could think of nothing to say as he had never had his heart broken. The boy decided instead to just remain silent and wait for Eric to compose himself. Though the prince was crying, his eyes held a fire that told the boy he was furious as much as he was saddened. Through the tears, Prince Eric further explained how he could never go near the ocean again, for the Ocean King and his daughter would certainly try to kill him. The ocean, which had once been the prince's truest love, was now forever closed to him. Eisen would have gone as far to say that the ocean had been put in opposition of the prince, but he did not think it was the right time. Bump, 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 went the wagon all the while towards Dristal. Well, Eisen said, but was cut off by a wave of Eric's large hand, which was wet with wiped away tears. Eisen wanted to try and console the prince, but had not got the words in which to do it. It was safe to say Eisen felt a bit controversial whenever he decided to just remain quiet. Finally, a relief for when the wagon came to an abrupt stop. Some shuffling up front confirmed that the tailor had dismounted the driver's bench. Within moments, the rear flap was pulled back, revealing Taylor beaming merrily as he seemed to do now so often. For a second, Eisen felt like he was seated between the happiest man and the saddest man in all of, well, wherever he was. The tailor's cheerful voice cut through the awkward, sad silence that seemed to fill the rear of the wagon. Found a nice spot to camp near the Cutspain River. Figured no use in continuing on in this starless black night. Eisen peered over Taylor's shoulder and saw that it had indeed become quite dark outside. It seemed altogether a different kind of dark than where he'd come from. 
This dark felt purposeful and seemed to almost have a physical feel to it. A feel that did not quite sit right. <clears throat> Just my nerves, Isaac said to himself for comfort. Truth be told, the dark was not malicious, and it spent most of its time just trying to fill every nook and cranny it could with pure blackness. Taylor passed out jobs for everyone to do, except for Pearlie, who didn't even so much as move from her seat at the front of the covered wagon. Eisen thought of skeletons again, and then Taylor called his name and waved his hand in front of the boy's face. Eisen snapped from his thoughts at this notion and moved with the tailor, promptly shook off the thoughts of Pearlie, though he had a feeling the tailor knew what was on his mind. Eisen, you boy, gather us up some firewood, would you, lad? He said, followed by a request for the prince to start preparing a meal. Eric passed the boy a weary glance of discontent before setting about removing cooking utensils from the underside of the wagon. Eisen looked off in the direction of the nearest patch of woods. They seemed a bit menacing, but he mustered his courage and told himself there was nothing to be afraid of. Though small place in his mind that knew that that was complete bullshit. This world had been hardly anything except malicious since he had come and he saw no reason for that to change suddenly. Truth, Eisen thought, was that there were many things to be afraid of here, more so in the dark. His eyes had not completely adjusted to this new darkness and he did not notice the numerous gravestones that surrounded him as he stepped off towards the woods in search of fresh firewood. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to follow the boy and his new friends into the night. Join us again, this time chapter 7. Some men drown themselves.